So, when was your last checkup? Oh no, not you. Although that's important too, but when was your last vehicle checkup? When it comes to service, nobody knows your Chevy better than your local Chevy dealer. Go to ChevyDriveChicago.com to schedule an appointment today. Okay, I'm a child of the 70s, and I, I think on days like this, with Lori Lightfoot getting historically trashed in the elections, the first incumbent to be bounced out of office in the first round, I think of Cat Stevens, and I think of the song, Morning Has Broken. Morning has broken. And it's so lovely, and there's meadows, and you think of birds, and Thumper, the little bunny rabbit, Thumper, before the hunters come. And that's how it is. Lori Lightfoot is not mayor of Chicago, and she is done with with public life as far as the public is concerned. She didn't even break what she got the, the last time around. And so, why? Because she lost the confidence of the people of Chicago. I was backing her. Jeff Carlin was back there. She used to show up on this podcast. We, we'd show up and give hugs, and I know that that really pisses off the Jacobins, literally, of the Chicago Tribune. Like, how dare you be friends with her? Yeah, well, I, I might be have been friends with her, but I'm not carrying water for her or Brendan Johnson like so many do there in the Chicago media. So what happened? Well, the George Floyd riots happened. The uh, She was a, a meme queen. They were calling her superhero because she was on MSNBC and she was all over TV. And MSNBC, leftist MSNBC, made her into some sort of little hero. All she needed was boots and, and a cape. And then George Floyd happened. And like many liberal mayors who were weak, she allowed herself to be destroyed by the left. You know who didn't leave fingerprints on her corpse? Tony Preckwinkle, boss Tony, who got her revenge in a dish best served cold. Lori Lightfoot came up to, with the idea of trying to appease Tony Preckwinkle and tried to uh, out and endorsed Kim Fox for re-election, State's Attorney Kim Fox, the Soros meat puppet of Cook County prosecutors. And I'm sorry, but when she did that, I I, I called her and I said, you know, you can't be serious, Lori. And she's like, yeah, I have to, to get Tony Preckwinkle off my back. Well, she got Tony Preckwinkle off her back because she caved and seemed weak. And once you show weakness in this game of politics, it's like basically cutting yourself in front of a pack of hyenas. It's serious when it's an individual. But when that individual is the mayor of Chicago and puts her own city under her own knowledge knows that if she backs this person, Kim Fox, it will be like telling the city of Chicago, get the bleep out. Well, that's what she did. She left a message to everyone, get the bleep out. She caved to the Black Lives Matter rioters. Oh, yeah, the Tribune doesn't admit that there were riots, but there were riots. I think there were riots, right? All those storefronts destroyed, all those fires the city of Chicago, downtown, ripped apart by a mob and successive mobs. 
You know, all that happened, and people didn't forget. You know, people haven't forgotten. That's what happens when there's no public order. That's what happens when there's no public safety. Lori Lightfoot caved into all that. And now Brendan Johnson is running, and he's going to pretend that he never called for the defunding of police, but he did. He's on record. Lori Lightfoot even pointed him out. And it's all going to be so ugly. He will play racial politics. I guarantee it, because I know what the left does. They're already wrapping Harold Washington's mantle around this man. I'm sure he could be a very nice man. I, I don't know him that well. But I'm just telling you how the politics are going to go. And if everything becomes you've got to vote race, or you got if you're white, you got to vote white, and if you're black, you got to vote black, where do the Latinos go? Because here's one thing that people don't want to deal with. Progressive Latinos may go with a progressive black candidate, but that's party affiliation overriding uh, ethnic politics. In Chicago, I don't think they're too enthusiastic about going. Latinos are not enthusiastic about going for a black candidate. They feel that they're in third place and stuck there. And black people think, in, in to a large measure, in terms of the racial politics, that they don't want to be put behind Latinos. And Latinos are in third place, and they're like, where's, our, where's ours? Where, when's our turn? And Chewy didn't give it to him. It's all going to be quite ugly. And the bottom line, where are you in all this? Where are you with the city that you love tearing itself apart with broken media, leftist media, throughout the uh, mainstream media? Is all, it's all leftist. It's all predisposed. They all want to su- suck up to Brendan Johnson. You can hear it now in the narrative, subtly. But, you know, I've been doing this job for about, what, 40 years? So I know exactly how it's going. I can sniff it. I can smell it. And even in the dark, you can see what's going on. You can sense what's happening. It's going to be ugly. But do you protect the city or do you just walk away? Because the battle hasn't ended. It'll continue. If Vallis is to prevail, he's got to go after crime and crime and crime and not be dissuaded by Johnson trying to switch him to another you know, issue like education. Crime is the issue. It's the pr- most pressing issue. And you have to think about it and where you are as the city trembles, as the city decides whether it's going to save itself. You're on the Chicago Way podcast with John Cass, Jeff Carlin, and today... Tom Serafin of Serafin and Associates, one of the best political analysts in town. In a tower by the river, there lived a man. There was a man who took a stand with pen and paper in his hand, defeating foes in every ward with a pen more mighty than the sword. No escape from his ink lasso. In a tower by the river, Castle. Here's how you get him. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. 
As promised, joining us, Tom Serafin of Serafin and Associates, a consultant and an on-air analyst for Fox 32 Chicago, and my friend. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, big guy. How are you? I'm good. Uh, what a what a night! Uh, before we dive into what's next, I think we're probably looking at a little bit of what happened. I mean, I, some people were expecting this race to maybe not be called until uh, you know maybe a couple days from now, but it was overwhelmingly uh, not Lori Lightfoot and was impressively Paul Vallis's night, um, and of course Brandon Johnson too. Coming in second there, Paul. You've seen the numbers. You've been kind of talking about doing the rounds. What's what's your takeaway from last night? I, you know, I thought uh, Paul Vallis did a nice job. You know, in the last couple of weeks, people have known that he was going to be coming out on top. Uh, I was very, very disappointed in in the fact that 1.5 million uh, voters in the city of Chicago. Everybody always complains about their government and not being responsive. And the voters were not responsive. Uh, 1,100,000 voters did not vote yesterday. And if they want to make change effective, they want to improve the city, you know, they're going to have to be participants. Uh, If they're not participants, the city's not going anywhere. So, I mean, the same turnout that we've had in the last two elections, 32 34%, I think, you know, uh, Rahm's election will be maybe 40%. It's not enough. Uh, you're going to have to have more participation on the behalf of the voter. I thought Brandon Johnson uh, did exactly what they expected to do. Uh, 20% gets you into the runoff. I was, uh, I'm sure that uh, Mayor Lightfoot is, is disappointed that she wasn't a- able to do any more. But you know what? You know, you had Chewy in there uh, with the progressive vote. You had uh, Brandon Johnson with the progressive vote. And Lori Lightfoot, which started, you know, her candidacy, you know, four years ago in, in kind of a progressive way. Uh, and she became more conservative as, as, uh, as the years grew. Um, and she could just could not reclaim any of her constituencies uh, from her general election against uh, Tony Preckwinkle when she, you know, won every ward. Well, well, she beat she beat Tony Preckwinkle, Tom, but she did not in every ward. But then she caved to Tony Preckwinkle by um, endorsing Kim Fox, state's attorney, when when Tony when Tony Preckwinkle demanded it and. It was like a kissing of the ring, and people who understood saw that, and, and m- many of us just turned away. I, well, I was surprised, you know. I was surprised that she endorsed Kim Fox, and I, ex- I expected something in return right. from the state's attorney or from the, the president of the Cook County Board, the chairman of the Cook County Democratic Party, you know, Tony Preckwinkle. Right. Uh, but unfortunately for Mayor Lightfoot, it wasn't there, you know, yeah. it, it, it wasn't there. I mean, Brandon Johnson was obviously a student of the, uh, the chairman, of the president of the Cook County Board. And uh, he's also, you know, uh, on the payroll of the teachers union. I mean, he is doing exactly what he's supposed to do. And, you know, he's young, energetic, attractive, uh, not afraid to throw a punch. He did last night when he was speaking before everybody on election night victory. Uh and he set the tone for the election campaign. And Paul Vallis is going to have to respond. And if Paul Vallis is always responding and reacting to what Brandon Johnson is doing, he's going to, he, he, he's not going to be successful. He's got to be successful by setting the agenda and the narrative. And I expect him to do that if he wants to be successful. But how do you do, how do you do that when 
how do you how do you set the narrative or not respond to someone else when that person is ideologically in tune with most or all of uh, Chicago media? I mean, not that they they want to defund the police, but I would say that most most reporters in town, particularly those who are you know in the guilds, various unions want to uh, keep the progressive left happy or at least supportive of them. And so I don't see how Paul can withstand the combined pressure of uh, the unions and the, and the progressive media. I don't see well, how the, that works out. Well, you know, the, the progressive media, the media, the, the press corps, the, Radio, TV stations, the newspaper yeah. reporters, the bloggers, those are all constituencies today. Uh, they're no longer, you know, like they were when, you know, I was working the street all the time, uh, you know, working, you know, and, and, and talking to people and judging what's going on on the street. Uh, these people, uh, that are involved in all these various different, you know, organizations are just another constituency in a campaign environment. So you, you've got people in the neighborhoods. Uh, you've got people along the lakefront. You, you got people in outlying wards. Uh, you, you've got a huge population in the inner city that needs help. Uh, you've got the constituencies of, of the media and the variety of bloggers, et cetera. So, you know, when you plan a campaign, you deal with the messaging and all the constituencies that need that messaging. And you try to, you know, adapt the words and language maintaining consistency in your message, but adapting to the language of the geographies that you were you're campaigning. And, and so I, I, you know, the progressive media to me, uh, they're always going to be there and you just deal with them as a constituency. Uh, uh, you know, if you're concerned about what they say and how they're reporting the campaign, you're going to be distracted. Uh, you can't, you can't be distracted. Uh, and you have, a, you have a campaign, put together to handle and to message all the various different, you know, folks and people in different organizations and you just deal with it. Uh, so I understand what you're saying, but uh, nowadays, you know, everybody in the media is, is got a, uh, an opinion. Everything is written with an opinion. Even the news stories have opinion inside the news story. So you do, you, you know, you go to work every day with your eyes wide open. Uh, and it's better that way, actually, because everything's out front. Everybody knows where everybody's coming from. Everybody knows what a reporter is thinking. And you just, just move forward and, and you campaign on, on, on your message. But if the other side is throwing junk at you, you, you have to be able to destroy that junk and put the other side on the defensive. Uh, you know, and, and if I were Paul Vallis, I mean, yeah. Brennan Johnson had plenty of time in, in the primary. Uh, to talk about why he really didn't mean defund the police. But right. he said that many times. He never said that. He wants to defund the police, and he's still talking ab about not retracting that statement. Yeah, he also right. wants to raise taxes. Uh, you know, he also has to defend the Chicago school system that, you know, in the latest uh, yeah. statewide test scores, 80% of people in eighth grade are graduating, can't read at the eighth grade level. 85% can't do math at the eighth grade level. Okay. What are you going to do for the city? You know, we're, we need to, we need, People that live and work in the city need the Chicago public schools to create a workforce, an educated workforce to build this city. We have to do it internally. We have to rebuild our schools. We have to rebuild our neighborhoods. And we need our students and children to be the future workers for the city of Chicago. Otherwise, there's no city. 
that's the one of the things that Brandon Johnson is doing really well. He's he's very disciplined. I mean, he's very good at not falling for traps and not getting into these battles about what he said and what he might have said and what he meant. He just he's just good, and then he doesn't get the pushback, John, as you were talking about from the media, who says, "Well, he said he didn't mean it, or he just you know whatever it is." They just push past it. I think one of the things that works in Paul's point to your point, Tom, is that this idea of a workforce. I mean, one of the big staples of Johnson's economic plan is to start taxing people who are coming into the city to work at, at a higher rate. Well, you know, people can work from home now. Businesses can work <laughs> wherever they want now. So why would any business owner in the city will support Brandon Johnson if he's just going to make life for them harder? And I think Paul can can certainly run on that. And Paul needs to get out there and and show his, you know, his his progressive bona fides, if you will, because he is you know, a guy who has always been the idea that, you know, every li- every person's life needs to be made better no matter what, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, you've how, what color, creed, whatever it is, your life deserve, you deserve happiness and the pursuit of happiness. And he needs to run on that because, I mean, he's got that stuff in his background. But Paul, this morning or Tom, this morning, I was seeing that people are, you know, are still running this line that, well, Paul Vallis is a far right candidate. He's a far right candidate. He's a far right candidate. Well, if we live in a city where Paul Vallis is a far right candidate, then we are way beyond the pale on the, on the other side of things because he's not. How does he overcome that? He's got to get out of the box and he's got to campaign in the inner city of the neighborhoods. He's got to be talking to people. He's got to have that echo chamber. He's got to get people in the neighborhoods of significance to endorse him. You know, there are a lot of other candidates that ran for mayor, mm-hmm. you know, three or four should be endorsing him in, in the next week or two. Sure. He's got to show that he has that gravitas inside the city and he understands what the city is and how the city needs to be handled. Uh, you know, you know, and when in, in, in debates, you're going to have to call people out and, you know, push them and pressure them. If you're waiting for the media or the old fashioned oh, media God. or the traditional media to do it, that's never going to happen. Yeah. You mean, you mean that if you're waiting, if you're waiting for the Chicago Tribune to actually be the Chicago Tribune that it was just a few years ago, you're not going to find it. You 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 can't, you don't you 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 can't rely on any uh, you know person or or organization involved in the election process to carry your message. You got to carry it, and you've got to push it and push it on a daily basis. Brandon Johnson does a real nice job of pushing his message. He was up early this morning. Yeah, he made all the television stations early when people were still at home having breakfast. Uh, you know, before eight o'clock. I didn't see, I didn't see the other candidate out there. Maybe the candidate, Paul Vallis was out there. I, I didn't see him. So Brandon Johnson is going to be running, you know, 724 in this thing. And let me tell you something. SEIU, the teachers union asked me, the public employee unions that are behind him are very, very sophisticated when it comes to running campaigns. They are no slouches. They understand what it takes. They understand where the buttons need to be pushed and they're experienced. And he's got a very experienced group of people around him. Uh, this is going to be a Donnybrook. Uh, and, you know, the election, oh, yeah. the, 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 the people started early voting in 19 days, you know, th- three, three weeks. How ugly is it going to get, guys? Well, it, it, it doesn't need to get very ugly because there are real simple distinctions between the two candidacies. And you need to stress that. And there's nothing wrong 
with somebody who wants to defund the police. I mean, and somebody that wants to, to take care of, uh, uh, you know, public safety the way, you know, Paul Vallis talks about. Those are all issues that need to be debated. And there's nothing wrong with that. What they're going to try to do, though, is, and I don't think, I don't know what Paul Vallis is going to do with Brendan Johnson, but Brendan Johnson started, you know, on election night talking about the fact that people that are supporting Paul Vallis could be construed as insurrectionists. Yeah. I mean, they're going to try to, they're going to try to put people in a box. Yes. And, 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 and you have to push back on that. And you don't necessarily use the candidate's voice, but you use those folks around the candidate that will be able to say, Hey, we understand what's going on. We understand, you know, he's doing this, throwing this rhetoric out there, but that's just rhetoric. He is going to be, who's going to have a plan for the city? Right now, Brennan Johnson's got a plan. He articulates it pretty well. Uh, he's well rehearsed. He's charismatic and he's, he, he's coming out of the box early and he, I, I've been impressed with his ability. Uh, Paul needs to show the same thing. Paul Vallis needs to, sh- to show the same thing immediately and get out there and, and kick some butt. Uh, if he doesn't, you know, it's going to be a, a long four or five weeks for him. Well, we're going to have uh, we're going to have a long, long several weeks, regardless. And I think you've got the hidden issue, or let's say under the carpet issue, of Chicago Teachers Union Local One the most powerful and most politically left uh, union in the uh, political universe. And they're raising money and they're giving money to Brendan Johnson. So they're going to, what, are they going to govern? How is it going to work out if he's elected? CTU is going to be running the city or will they have have uh, an office in City Hall? How is it going to work? That's a good point, John. I mean, that's one of the things that I think Paul can can hone in on is the idea that, look, Brennan Johnson is going to be out there campaigning on our dime because he's being paid by our tax dollars. And it's, he's not working. I mean, if he's out, if he's campaigning, he's not working. Right. And so this idea that he's getting us taking, he's drawing us a big salary from the county and drawing a salary from the union just reeks of the idea that the fix is in and that if he becomes mayor, then you know, who is controlling everything? It's all power consolidated in one place, in one group of people led by a handful of people. It, that's something that Paul can, can hopefully use to his advantage. And I, and I think it's something that would resonate with a lot of people because, you know, the idea of big government or the conspiracy type thing, those things play well on social media. Those things play well in, you know, in, in gossip groups. But I think you were onto something there, Tom, with the idea that Paul needs endorsements. And just looking at, just, obviously, this is just not, this is for for fun here, but the idea of Paul, you know, pulling away with it coming in with, what, 34% of the vote in this part of the election and Johnson behind him at like 20%. You know, if we break up the, the remaining candidates there, it still stacks up in Paul's favor if he gets an endorsement from the likes of a, a Sawyer or uh, or a Willie Wilson and even, uh, probably not a Lightfoot, but it's going to be people vying for that Lightfoot, uh, Chewy Garcia vote that's probably going to go to Johnson. It still becomes a really, really tight race that I think Paul has a chance to win. Um, do you see any, you know, do you see any a larger outcome from this from business types here? Because I feel like they'd be in Paul's corner. Well, you know, when you talk about the business community, uh, you're you're accurate there. The business community. Uh, have thrown up their hands, you know, they, right. they got, 
they got whacked in the in the Pritzker gubernatorial election, mm-hmm. uh, uh, working with Citadel and everybody else. You know, when when they lost their right. primary, so there are a few of them that are still kicking. And in the business community, uh, you know, I, I I spoke to somebody last night about it, and he told me we're all in and we're going to be with Paul Vallis. Uh, we just need the city to settle down and have somebody that we can talk to that's not going to completely always put us in on the defensive as if we're doing something right. wrong. So from a business community point of view, Paul Vallis will be able to raise a good deal of money. Uh, he, resources for either candidacy for Brandon or Paul Vallis's candidacy will not be, will not be a problem in this particular five week election. Uh, money won't be the issue. The issue will, can you talk about your issue and can you convince the voters in the city of Chicago who by the very fact that they don't vote anymore are fed up and given up on people downtown trying to solve their problems. The reason a million people didn't vote is because nothing ever changes. The same group of people take over city hall to make all the promises and nothing ever changes. Uh, so this is a, this is an election where a lot of people think might be the last great opportunity try to right the ship here in the city of Chicago, especially for those people that provide thousands of jobs in the city and people that provide thousands of millions of dollars in tax revenue. Uh, in Michigan Avenue, if you take a look at the boarded up buildings, that particular part of the world in Chicago, I think at one time produced 23, 25% of, of the tax, tax yeah, yeah. income for the city. It's not doing that anymore. You have to bring that back. And you can't do that with rhetoric suggesting that because they're, they're supporting Paul Vallis that they're insurrectionists. (laughs) Those people, they can afford to push a few buttons to move their assets to Florida, Tennessee, Mm -hmm. Texas, as many of them have already done. You have to bring peace. You have to talk to people. You have to compromise. I guess the, I guess the question is, does whoever Vallis or Johnson, do they want to preside over uh, at the end of the election, do they want to preside over a city that's not doing well at all? Or do they want to preside over a city that is shaky? Uh, or is it one with uh, a green living trunk? You know, I don't know. I think, John, uh, the, the both candidacies and their constituencies are earnest I think that's the term earnest in trying to bring their vision to the city. And they think their vision for the city will be able to, to turn it around. Uh, you know, and you have clear, clearly difficult, different visions about how to do that. You know, the people that voted for Brendan Johnson, you know, 89% of the people said they were voting for Brendan Johnson because he was going to help solve the homeless issue. Uh, uh, he, he was going to be able to improve the, improve the schools and improve the CTA. Only 62% of them said in the polling that they were there to improve safety. So the, there, with Paul Vallis, 99% of the people that voted, voted for him said it was because they wanted to improve safety they needed they wanted to deal with the crime issue clear distinctions on why voters voted for each different candidacy if this election in the next five week it five weeks is about crime and improving safety paul vallis would be able to sell that message uh, he would have an advantage at the ballot box 
if it's the other way around, he has a disadvantage and Brennan Johnson has the advantage. Which message is going to resonate with the voters? Um, I think crime and, and improving public safety will will resonate. Can Paul sell that and punch back when he needs to? Will his campaign be as sophisticated as Brendan Johnson's campaign? And please respect Brendan Johnson's campaign effort mm. and his people around him. Very sophisticated, very wise. They know what they're doing. And to, to think otherwise uh, would be a fatal error on the part of Paul Vallis's campaign. If he sticks to crime and public safety, he has a chance to win. If he doesn't, if he's allowed himself to be distracted, uh, I don't think he will win. And and what will happen then is all those business people that wanted to support him, they will turn out the lights. And you will see it uh, an acceleration of the decline faster than you could imagine, just in a period of weeks. And at the same time, uh, as we get warmer, Things get warmer outside, you know, in the spring, nice days. Uh, what happens in Chicago? The bodies hit the floor. We, it's a terrible thing. The good thing about this race is it will provide clarity for everyone who wants to live in the city of Chicago and do business in the city of Chicago right. and get their kids into public the school in the city of Chicago and educate them so that they can get onto uh, a trade or, you know, junior college or, you know, a regular college uh, and come back to the city and be part of the opportunity that the city creates for everybody that lives here over the last 100 years. There's clear, clear, clearness and clarity on the outcome. And, you know, it's been a long time since we've had a race that's going to show us that clarity. Uh, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. You know, it's, you know, and if Johnson wins, uh, everybody's going to know where the city's headed. If Paul Vallis wins, everybody's going to know where the city's headed. And, you know, the, the one thing people have mentioned to me about Paul Vallis, especially uh, some of the aldermen, you know, at City Hall, is that, you know, Tom, he's 70 years old. <laughs> so he's only going to be around four, eight years. So he's not going to be like a daily. Uh, he's not going to be one of these long-term mayors that we cannot, cannot dislodge. He's going to go in there and fix things. And then he's either going to retire or, or uh, somebody will beat him in office in, in four or eight years. You know, uh, in my lifetime, there have only been two mayors that haven't had a second term, Mayor Jane Byrne and uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. So the opportunity is with him. And think about this. The next mayor has control of about $29 billion in total resources. If you take the schools and everything else that the mayor has uh, opportunity to deal with, $29 billion, round that off to 30, multiply times four, that's $120 billion in four years. And if it's a two-term mayor, that's a quarter of a trillion dollars that the mayor can deal with with over eight years somebody who understands the books somebody who could put a, an accounting uh, uh, operation together can see what can i do with an investment of a quarter trillion in the city of chicago that's focused on the city you know alleviating the debt taking care of the pensions in the neighborhoods and improving public safety could i do that with a quarter of a trillion dollars i i think you know an imbecile could probably do it that way. <laughs> uh, I know one of the candidates, uh, you know, that that was in 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 the forums in in, in the primary told Paul Vallis that he said, "You know what I'm going to do, Paul? After I get elected, Paul said, No, what what are you going to do?' He said, "I'm going to elect you, Paul, to run the city, <laughs> right? 
<laughs> yeah, because everybody knows that Paul understands the numbers that he can deal with it. Yeah. The problem with Paul Balance has always been that he's never been able to win an election. So, you know, Brandon Johnson's got his people together. Paul Balance has got his people together. It's a major leagues, a heavyweight fight. And you, know every, every, You're and so you have right, to get out. Yeah. You have to You're get so out and right. do it. And the honesty of this election, as you point out, is clarity. And when I saw Stacey Davis Gates uh, standing there doing interviews, you know, in front of Brandon Johnson, basically planting the union flag on his his candidacy, I thought, okay, here it is. And let the people decide. That's it, right? Yeah, we're certainly at a crossroads, that's for sure. You know, it's a shame, you know, that, uh, uh, you know, when you take a look at the numbers now, only 16% of the city of Chicago is, it would be classified as middle class. The rest of this poverty and then the few people that, you know, have money. Uh, but it's a large, there's a large segment of the city that lives in, you know, what is, what is currently described by the federal government as poverty, poverty conditions. Uh, and our schools are not performing. Uh, our, our police department needs to be rehabilitated. So much that needs to get done, and you can't do it without compromise. It's not going to get done. Lori Lightfoot tried to do it with a hammer, and she wasn't reelected. You have to do Ron Emanuel tried to do it with a hammer. He had to leave office. You have to bring people together, and you have to understand this city. And uh, uh, we're going to see it's, the clarity is going to be right there for all of us. What about the, the last question before we go? What about the ugly thing that people don't want to acknowledge or feel they're too polite to acknowledge or they remember uh, the early years of uh, Harold Washington and CORE and all the all these different do-gooder groups? What about voting skin color? What about Chicago as the city of tribes that I grew up in, that I understand the pink guys, the Lithuanians, the Latinos, Blacks, Greeks, I don't know what Greeks are, kind of like olives. Um, what about people voting skin color? Isn't that what it's going to come down to, unfortunately? I mean, I feel somehow, I don't like it, but I feel somehow that people will vote skin color above all else. And I, I don't know how to reconcile that, especially during Lent. Well, in the last couple of weeks, you know, the mayor, you know, did make some overt remarks about, you know, if you don't vote for me, uh, you know, you should stay home. It's those kinds of things. And Brandon Johnson on his election night speech alluded to some of that. Uh, but I think the voters in Chicago are so much more sophisticated. And in my lifetime, you know, the, Paul Ballas is the first person uh, uh you know, of, uh, that, that is a Caucasian that is welcomed and freely moves around, uh, the communities of color, whether it's Hispanic, you know, African American, Asian, it, it makes no difference. He's, he, you know, he, he did so well when he was here with the Chicago public schools in moving around with the various constituencies in the community. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't see it's, I don't see that. I don't. They're trying to make him a Republican, as they yeah. talked about on election night. They're trying to, and if you can make him a Republican, then you can attach all the Trump kind of doctrines and and uh, well, rhetoric say, to him. If you say he's, if you equate uh, his skin color and you get away with this racism, and you say he's white, 
Uh, he's a moderate. Therefore, he's a conservative and a Republican. Uh, and that's racism. But uh, you, if you get away with it, the only if you get away, the reason why you'd get away with it is because media will reinforce that message. Yeah, but the media is not in control. They're going to, you know, they write stuff, but they're a constituency because they're opinionated. So, you, you know, you, you can't look at the media as if they're uh, going to be an arbiter of intelligence or truth anymore. They are just expressing their point of view based on how they see things. And that doesn't make them right, doesn't make them wrong. They're, they're no longer, in, in the old days, they were the sitting in judgment all the time of who was right and who was wrong. And unfortunately, today, on the esteem ladder, for people all around the country, including the city of Chicago and the state of Illinois, they are down on the bottom along with politicians. Right. They're important. They're, they're an important constituency that you, you need to respect, but they aren't the driving constituency anymore in a campaign. And if you allow them to drive the campaign, you're not going to be successful. You're going to be ups- you get obsessed with that, and they're just going to derail you along the way. It's no longer the case when you're running an election anymore. They are just another constituency that you have to deal with, and, and you work with them. Uh, you know, as as far as, far as the, the 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 election cycle is going to concern, and whether or not race is going to be a big big play. You know, there's a lot of African American mothers and women that would love to have their opportunity to send their child to a school where their children will be able to graduate and get on to a good high school and find a good job somewhere. Right. One of those issues, you know, that Paul's talked about for years is parental school choice, where the parents has the opportunity to choose the school for their child. That's an issue that, you know, Brendan Johnson's going to go after him on. And I think that's a good issue, especially for people in the neighborhoods that are trapped. They are trapped in schools that don't perform. Uh, and this, this is an opportunity. It's, it's a wave around the country that's currently moving. And, you know, it, it's going to be one of those sidebar issues that's going to come right to the top. The teachers union versus parental school choice. It's a national issue. Don't, don't forget, you know, this is going to be a national campaign. Wall right. Street Journal wrote about it on Wednesday morning about this particular election immediately. Everybody's looking at it. AOC and the the squad, uh, Bernie, and everybody else is going to come in and campaign for the teachers union candidate, Mr. Johnson. And Paul, who is an old-fashioned liberal Democrat, is going to be on the other side. Right. How could he be on the other side? You know, So the Democrats themselves are going to have to figure out who's a Democrat and who isn't a Democrat. Uh, and they're going to try to go after each other. The school choice, the parental school choice issue is going to be a big issue in this campaign. Number two, uh, 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 along with the the, uh, the crime issue in the city of Chicago, people around the country will be watching this. This will be a national effort. Wisdom from Tom Serafin of Serafin and Associates. Tom? Well, th- thank you for having me, guys. I appreciate it. You know and John... I hear you're doing you're pretty darn well. Congratulations on coming back from the edge of oblivion. You know, yeah, my goodness, you're, you've you're, been through a war and a half. Uh, you sound pretty good, buddy. And I saw that column you wrote the other day. Yeah, it was terrific. And uh, we're looking forward to the more from John News dot com. Well, I'm not ready to I'm not ready to jump in completely. I did that one because, as I told you when we were I was working on it. You know, I it's and it was election day, and I had to I had something to say, and I had to say it, uh, and I couldn't just hide. But um, mm-hmm. we're going to see. You know, I mean, I'm not ready to write three a week. Just I'm not ready to do that. 
But I am ready to talk politics anytime with Tom Serafin and Jeff Carlin. Absolutely. Tom, always, always love your insight. Uh, thank you so much. Well, thank you, Jeff. Thank you, John. You guys have a very good day. Stay well. You too. Thank you, my friend. Morning has broken Like the first morning Blackbird has spoken Like the first bird Praise for the singing All right. For, for Tom Serafin of Serafin Associates, an analyst on Fox 32 New Chicago, and I'd say the best analyst I know in uh, in Illinois. I mean, the, the stuff he talked about, just brilliant. A political guru in every sense of the word. He's a good man. And for Jeff Carlin, my friend and budding media critic <laughs> and we'll have to get to that yes. in the, the jeff time. carlin files <laughs> because there's a there's several guys i know i know who used to be uh who consider themselves i guess progressive show ponies in the media now are whining about the chicago way like oh yeah why are you <laughs> why jeff why is jeff and john why are you doing this it's just uh, Pathetic. Grow up, snowflakes. And for me, John Cass, editor-in-chief of John Cass News, your favorite website for common sense. Join us again next time as the city decides what it will be. Okay, sera, sera, on the Chicago way, on WGN+.